1: I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The bigger thing is how to have a conversation with others who don't understand giftedness and advocate in a way that doesn't push others away. It's really complicated for parents of gifted kids because you want your child to have an an equitable education where they're getting challenged as much as the other kids in the class. But schools often don't put many resources into that or their roadblocks philosophically or financially. It's very complicated getting the message across that these kids need help and support.
1: Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, You can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is The Gifted Parenting Journey with my colleague in gifted land, Dr. Gail Post. Dr. Gail has written hundreds of blog posts and articles about giftedness for newsletter and online publications, along with book chapters in gifted underachiever, and perspectives on giftedness. She is passionate about advocating for the needs of gifted children, dispelling the pervasive misconceptions and stereotypes about giftedness, and supporting families in their parenting efforts. Dr. Gale is a clinical psychologist who's been in practice for over 35 years with a specialty in intellectual and musical giftedness and twice exceptionalities. She is also a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Her current book, The Gifted Parenting Journey, A Guide to Self-Discovery and Support, which we will be diving into today, combines her experience as a psychologist, parent, and advocate for change, and offers supportive tools to help parents of gifted children. Dr. Gail, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited to be here. Appreciate it.
1: So you've been at this a very long time. And when I say that, I'm, I'm speaking to wisdom. <laughs> so I'm speaking to wisdom here.
0: Right, and okay. so
1: what this book is a culmination of decades of, of your experience, your work, uh, your own parenting experience. Mm-hmm. How long was this in the works?
0: Well, you know, as, as you probably know, as a fellow psychologist, most, most of us are not trained in giftedness. It's just a blip on the radar. And it's something that I became more aware of as I developed a private practice after years of working in agencies and other organizations and had a lot of folks who were really smart. And along with being really smart also came a lot of complicated emotions, you know, whether it was impatience with their employees or feeling misunderstood, not being able to find colleagues or friends they related to. So that started to get me more aware of of educating myself. And then I had two gifted kids, right? Mm -hmm. So got real involved with advocacy work in the school system. They were in the public schools and learned about all their different quirks. And, and, you know, it isn't, it isn't all easy raising a gifted child necessarily. Uh, Got involved with a gifted parenting advocacy group, for example, which was a tremendous support. And also at the time seemed really valuable for the schools in that we advocated for things like uh, universal screening so that children who don't quote unquote look gifted were not overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it was a great support. And when my kids graduated, I wanted to continue to advocate uh, and started my blog, Gifted Challenges, which is going on strong for about 10 years now, and started writing and presenting and doing workshops and all that fun stuff, uh, but also have a, have a niche in my private practice where I work a lot with, with folks who are gifted or do parent coaching for families of uh, gifted children. So it's been an evolving process, and I'm still learning a lot along the way. There's, there's so much to learn.
1: And the book, has the book been, how long has the book been in you?
0: Well, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about it for a while, but as you know, as you know, as an author, it's, it's quite an endeavor to get that going, but actually it was during the pandemic where Mm -hmm. I had a lot more free time, you know, I wasn't going places. So I was like, okay, you know, what can I do? That's a little more internal and uh, really just put my energy into it. And it was, uh, you know, a bit of a process, but it took about a year Uh, To get it going, but I I connected with a publisher through Gifted Unlimited, and Mm -hmm. uh, that that worked out well. So it it was launched this past October, and uh, it's it's really been uh, it was a great outlet for me to kind of share not only issues related to the parents' experience raising gifted children, uh, but to really cull through a lot of the research and the theory that's out there. But also, it's essentially a parenting book on Mm -hmm. best practices in parenting and. Uh, how we can offer both love and limits with our kids in in a meaningful way.
1: Yes, with a focus on the parent, which often the focus is on children. And of course, we have to understand our kids. Um, However, Mm -hmm. so much attention, um, whether it is um, media attention or scholarly attention or clinical attention, parenting attention is on the child. and, And this focus on the child, and I think some of us would argue, um at times an overfocus at the <laughs> right, expense right. of the human raising these people and you know we are aligned in our ideas about how self-awareness um is such a huge part of um mm-hmm. being a parent but also being a healthy person
0: right right exactly yeah. You know, it was so interesting when I, I looked into this, as as you know, so many books about parenting, but also about parenting gifted children are about the child. And we certainly need to understand the, these unique human beings. But as a parent, we, we really need to be attuned to ourselves and what drives us, what motivates us, what our needs are so that we can parent at our best. There was very little out there. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was really striking. The In terms of the research that's out there, what little bit that there is focuses a lot on the child and managing the child's behaviors, or maybe their comments about the parents' frustration with the schools, but very little about what the heck is it like for parents? What are they feeling? What are they experiencing? The sense of isolation from peers, because if you you know think about the fact that well giftedness affects what 1 to 5% of the population so in your child's classroom about 1 to 5% of the kids which is a small number are going to be gifted which means there's less of a parent sample to draw from to find mm-hmm. friends and colleagues so parents often feel really isolated they they struggle with how do i talk about my worries and my concerns How do I talk about my joys without sounding like I'm bragging? Mm -hmm. Um, And if I complain, will other parents say, well, gee, I wish I had your problems. You know, my kid can barely get through school. So it's very isolating and confusing. A lot of the parenting advice out there doesn't necessarily fit for gifted kids the way it does for neurotypical kids because Mm -hmm. they bring different. A different mindset, a different energy to the table. You know, they they demand logic, they demand empathy. Uh, they're not going to cooperate if it doesn't make sense to them. They're like little nope. junior lawyers, right? Yep. You know, and they'll yep. argue the, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what was so interesting was again so little focus on the parents' well-being. There were just really a few studies I came across, uh, mostly dissertations, where they looked at that. And and one of what I found so interesting was one of the researchers. Um, last name is rimlinger she googled using google scholar which as we know is a way to get research articles um, and she googled autism parent well-being and she got 26,000 hits now Mm. certainly raising an autistic child is complicated and parents need all the support they can get but she got 26,000 hits and Less than a dozen on gifted parent well-being, so mm-hmm. the discrepancy is really striking. And she argues that giftedness might be considered an exceptionality, just like um, other special mm-hmm. education needs, because these kids are so different; they're so far outside the norm.
1: Yes, they are, and um, gosh, so much there I want to comment on. Let's uh, let's let's take a step back for everyone and. Let's just talk about the word and what it actually means. And also, you know, you are been banging the drum for a long time on what it doesn't mean, right? What the myths are as well. So what, how would you describe this G, this G word, this, this giftedness, like what is it in its essence?
0: Well, it is the G word in that it's, it's uh, something people avoid talking about because it has a really bad rap. It's, um, you know, and it's really kind of unfortunate, in my opinion, that the word gifted is used and then we're kind of stuck with it. And a lot of people have lobbied to change it because it sounds like, hey, my child is a gift. My child's better than yours. And Mm -hmm. that's the last thing we want to convey. Right. Um, These kids are just different. You know, it's like having different eye color. You don't have control over it. It's who you are. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. And uh, it's very hard to explain that to people because they think often if they don't have a gifted child that... Everything is, is easy, you know, it's easy street and your child's going to always excel and achieve and have good manners and all that stuff that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. These kids have uh, amazingly um, ferocious minds, you know, they want to gobble up information, they're passionate about learning, they uh, learn at a faster pace with greater intensity and depth. And schools aren't, most schools aren't really built for that. You know, they, mm-hmm. and these kids often coast along and find their way somehow, but a lot of them don't put in the effort anymore because they feel like, why bother? Or I don't have to. And and the drawback to that is, of course, they may develop uh, problems with organization and planning and uh, study skills. But, but the bigger thing is how to have a conversation with others who don't understand giftedness and advocate in a way that doesn't push others away, it's really complicated for parents of gifted kids because you want your child to have an, an equitable education where they're getting challenged as much as the other kids in the class. But mm-hmm. schools often don't put many resources into that, or their are roadblocks philosophically or financially, and it it creates a lot of problems. So it it's it's I think an ongoing struggle, and um, you know certainly if you have thoughts about it too, I, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear because it's it's very complicated getting the message across that these kids need help and support.
1: It's very complicated. Um, I have found, so we got some of the terms, we have the gifted term, and then also um, in describing um, another aspect of your work and experiences with twice-exceptionality. And for those out there, twice-exceptionality is where you are advanced in one of several areas on the gifted end of the spectrum. And at the same time, you also have some uh, difference or disability, um, which can look like ADHD or dyslexia or autism, um, anxiety, a, a, mental, a mental health issue. And so all this is to say, I have found over the years, people have a much easier time understanding when explained a twice exceptional child with empathy because there's something quote, challenging or wrong with them. And people seem to be able to rally around a need, but when it's just presented as giftedness and um, people focus on these advanced abilities, they miss all the other differences because they're often invisible. And then it's very hard to get empathy for the gifted child Mm -hmm. who doesn't have a visible or recognizable challenge.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, when one of my, when my oldest child started um, elementary school, he had a lot of uh, fine motor skill and speech uh, issues that required speech and occupational therapy. And I was stunned at how generously the school offered these services, and they were really falling all over themselves to offer him support for these, in his case, relatively minor problems, but still problems nonetheless. But yet, getting him tested for gifted was a huge struggle. And then even when he qualified, the services were so minimal and, and okay. so um, lackluster. The discrepancy uh, in my personal experience was astonishing. For a lot of kids with more serious problems, like you mentioned ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, for example, a lot of these kids get overlooked, both their exceptionality, both the ADHD, And their giftedness, because they sometimes cancel each other out so that um, a child with ADHD might be able to compensate for their distractibility, for example, because they're so smart and they grasp most of the information. But the ADHD is never addressed. Or on the other hand, their giftedness may be hidden because they struggle so much to get assignments in, their their grades are poor, you know, so it's, it's, it's quite a dilemma.
1: We always talk around giftedness, you know, people like you and I in this field who are really, um, we like to live in the complexity because it is a complex situation. And, you know, you wrote about, and we talk about asynchronous development, um, you know, having high abilities, advanced abilities, having, um, age, uh, age, expected abilities, and then having delayed abilities, we know we have sensitivities um, and excitabilities. The list goes on with the complexity. What I want to come back to is, do you have a simple definition <laughs> that you can recommend for parents listening to say when someone's like, well, so what is gifted? Because it's so hard to, to distill it without, you know, to define as to destroy, right? So it's like, how do we distill it while still explaining it for other people to understand
0: that's a really tough one for me to answer and i'm no yeah. expert at definitions but I, I know that from writing this book i came across many different definitions and most of them talk about aptitude so the standard iq of 130 or above which is uh is uh, you know 30 points above the average which is 100 uh, and other commentary was involved things like creativity or uh, emotional intensity, or drive for learning. I mean, there's so many different aspects of this of this individual that are intensified. Mm-hmm. So their emotions can be more intense, their, their passion for learning, their intellectual pursuits. Uh, you know, in some kids that ends up being video games, right? You know, things we don't always want them to be intense about. But right, um, right. You know, there, there's an intensity there. And there is a capacity to grasp information that's just different from the neurotypical peers they're in class with.
1: Yes. And a word that is not a simple word, but I um, always think of it, our colleague, Dr. D. Lavecki, um, a great contributor to the field, she used the mm-hmm. word in her description, entelechy which, which, which is the drive that you speak to. And I always Mm -hmm. think of that word as like Uh. to describe that drive. And when you're with Mm -hmm. a gifted individual, and of course you meet one gifted individual, you've met one gifted individual, but what we're looking at is a pattern. You have this often this intensity, which is either can be loud, but it also can be very quiet. And Mm. this drive, this need to know, right, as Mm. you talked about, these little attorneys who are debating, and it's not just a, they're not just doing it to drive you nuts. They they need to understand, and they need to explore, and they need to push the limits. And in my experience, man, the growth that they push us to is... uh, (laughs) at times, um, exhilarating. And as you pointed out, exhausting. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So when on your journey, did you come to realize the importance of self awareness? You know, like this, this lens about it really matters how much I am aware of who I am, Mm -hmm. where I came from, And what my own narrative is about um, being a parent.
0: Well, you know, I I think that, you know, I was maybe like a junior therapist before I became a therapist that I, I always was pretty attuned to what was going on around me and very attuned to my own feelings and thoughts. And it just formed who I was that, you know, I, I try to, I'm not obviously not always self-aware, but I try to be as self-aware as possible. And when I had my own kids, it, it seemed really important to navigate any emotions that I had that arose. Cause of course, as a parent, I would get frustrated and angry and, you know, disappointed and all that stuff. Uh, but to be as clear as possible about somehow not transmitting those feelings in a way that would be hurtful, that doesn't mean I, you know, I didn't get mad and tell my kids I was mad at them for some behavior, but to not do it in a way that was, uh, you know, dare I say, abusive or harsh or demeaning or shaming. Uh, that was really important to me, and that takes a lot of self-restraint and awareness. You know, an awareness that, gee, I'm really. Really angry now. I need to, you know, take a deep breath, or I need to frame this in a way that they can understand developmentally where they are. Cause how mm-hmm. we talk to a five year old is different than a 15 year old. And, uh, you know, what will be most attuned to their unique personalities. And I, I think that's true for all parents that we have to really recognize, especially if we have more than one child, that. Each child is different. You know, one child might respond well with a sense of humor, and others you need to write out, you know, you know, memo points about, you know, this. These are all the reasons I'm asking you to clean your room. So it's, um, you know, it's about an attunement to yourself, but obviously also to your child.
1: (laughs) You said write out a memo about cleaning the room, and I just have a like an image of you said to clean my room. You didn't say to clean my closet. Uh Right, right. Right, like it's like just the the details and the nuances sometimes are so important. Um, And in terms of this need to understand, often these kids come across as the word that we often use is defiant or Mm non-compliant. And man, first of all, I don't think that that should be a parenting goal of ours, even though I think many of us growing up that was sort of the prevailing like you know you need to be compliant you need to follow the rules um these kids don't want to be told what to do any more than us adults want to be told what to do and mm-hmm. i learned early on that the the parents would come in and and my own experience as a parent and talk about you know they just they just don't listen why is everything so difficult why can't they just say okay And when I finally hit me one day that these people generally do not understand hierarchy for hierarchy purposes, (laughs) meaning meaning I'm older than you or I'm in charge of you. So I get to tell you when to eat and to sleep and study. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. This thing is totally rigged. Um, Just because you happen to be my parent, do I get to tell you when to get off your phone or when to eat or when to go to bed? They just, like, don't get it. And when right. we can understand this is a human being that at times is beyond their years. Some of them are very wise and what we call old souls. Others mm-hmm. might lack that ability and really have, you know, less of the social um processing, social skill development, but still have the advanced thinking, if we understand who they are and what their need as a human is, it doesn't mean it's super easy, but it does, it's, it's, you can have a partner in this Mm -hmm. as opposed to Mm -hmm. an adversary.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, one of the pieces of research I, I stumbled across in, in writing this book was about um, different parenting styles. And most people have heard about authoritarian and authoritative and permissive. And authoritative is where um, there's a, a reasonably um, healthy amount of communication and flexibility, but also some limits, some framework, uh, which may be lacking in a permissive environment. And authoritarian is where it's kind of like my way or the highway. So that you know, all the research says that does not work with gifted mm-hmm. kids. They're just mm-hmm. not gonna, you know, they're just not gonna go along with that. And uh, interestingly, there was one study that found that uh, some neurotypical kids are okay with an authoritarian style, even though, but gifted kids are not. So you would know, think that across the board, authorita- authoritative is is a more healthy style, and I, I certainly mm-hmm. subscribe to that. But. Certainly, gifted kids are never going to do what you described. You know, just sort of go along with it because they're told to do it. They, it has mm-hmm. to make sense to them. They may not like it, but if it makes sense, they'll grumble but they'll do it. But if it doesn't make sense, they will resist in all kinds of creative ways.
1: Hmm. Hmm. We um, when we used to prior to COVID had this one week summer camp for uh, gifted individuals. Mm-hmm. I'll always remember this one scenario where. We finally were allowed to do s'mores, and, <laughs> um, which the, the, the site usually, because it it's a beautiful place out in nature and you couldn't ruin the campfire, but they, they approved it. And it was, it was, everyone's was really excited. And of course, we get extra. And then sure enough, people get back in line for more. And I saw this argument break out between a counselor and a camper. And the camper was probably about 13. And can I have another one? Counselor, you cannot have another one. Why can't I have another one? Because you can't have another one. Get in the back of the line. But I want another one. Why can't I have another one? This thing is going on. And finally, another counselor stepped in and said, you can't have another one right now because we haven't gotten through the entire line. We're not sure if there's enough for everyone to have two, and it would be unfair if there wasn't. But if we have Mm -hmm. enough for everyone to have two, you can have another one. And the person said, okay and walk to the back of the line. Right. Exactly. Right. Just an example of an explanation. It's like, it sounds so simple, but we have these again, back to our own, perhaps beliefs about how we were parented or about how we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be or how our children are supposed to be. This is what you're talking about with the self-awareness. Right.
0: Right. You're, you know, you're so right about all that. And that's a great example. Um, One of the things I think that embarrasses parents a lot is when their kids start confronting the teachers at school. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, well, you're saying this, but the book says something different and teachers don't want to hear that. Right. You know, and and they're just, they're, the child is just conveying information that makes sense to them. They're not thinking about the social context. Okay. This is the teacher. And like, you're saying there's a hierarchy there. And how do I address that differently? But, um, yeah, it's really, you know, it it's really yeah. complicated with these kids.
1: And and it's so important to understand, you just triggered another memory from the camp we had this teen talk group one day mm-hmm. and the topic was about correcting teachers. And <sighs> and and as counselors, we were trying to help them understand the impact that an adult on an adult to be publicly corrected mm-hmm. when it's their mm-hmm. job and that that can have a negative consequence for how they are treated as a result if you're upsetting the teacher mm-hmm. over half of the group of these gifted and twice exceptional teens said we you don't understand we have a moral imperative to correct wrong information a teacher's <laughs> job is to teach if that teacher is imparting incorrect information i must correct you know, and it was like, and this is where it's the social justice. Yeah. And, um, exactly. And again, this comes out as defiance. It comes out as mm-hmm. annoyance. Um, it comes out as superiority. And, you know, that stuff does still exist, right? Within the gifted bot. Like those personality characteristics do exist, mm-hmm. but we often mm-hmm. find they're misunderstood for some of their behavior, these kind of behaviors.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know again, what you're describing are how different these children are, and and how self-awareness as a parent is so important because these things are going to happen. We're going to get annoyed and frustrated and disappointed, but how to manage our own expectations and and look at where our child is developmentally, emotionally, socially, and intellectually in responding. Mm-hmm. And you know the thing about self-awareness is that it, is um, you know it's just so important that we have a sense of what's important to us. In parenting Mm -hmm. our kids, our own values, our goals, what our needs are, you know, where we're willing to be flexible and where we're not, what are the things we want to instill? Because without that, we're going to be more susceptible to these sudden knee-jerk reactions to events Mm -hmm. or to what our neighbor said works with their kid or to all the voices on social media or even our own parenting, Mm -hmm. um, family of origin parenting that we experienced and what worked and what didn't. That it's really our job as parents to figure out what what do we want to do with this this child and where do we want them to go, even though we't we can't, we can't um, necessarily force them to do things or have them no. follow the path we want,
1: no. but
0: how do how do we address who they are so they can flourish?
1: Yes. You wrote, self-awareness is neither a luxury nor an indulgence. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what that means to you.
0: Well, you know, it, it's it's really something that's really essential. And a lot of people may think, eh, I don't have time for that self-awareness stuff. You know, I, I just have to, you know, get to work and get pick my kids up from school. I don't need to think about all this stuff. And it's almost seen as indulgent, sort of like the way the concept of self-care has morphed into being perceived as an indulgence you know that right. it's all bubble right. baths and massages when right. you know self-care is about you know getting a reasonable amount of sleep or uh, yeah. eating well you know, the same things we try to teach our kids right so it's um self-awareness is it's not a fluffy thing it's i see as really really critical uh, mm-hmm. to best parenting practices you, you know the whole idea of on an airplane, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child so you can be there for your child. We have to figure out who the heck we are so that we can then parent as effectively and certainly imperfectly because it's going to be imperfect, but mm-hmm. as effectively as we possibly can. And rec- also recognize our mistakes and learn from them and not right. pretend they didn't exist and not feel shame about them, but say, okay, I did the best I could now, now what?
1: Yeah. And when, when, appropriate, depending on the situation and your child's age, sharing with your child the mistake you made and mm-hmm. what you would do different and apologize when it's appropriate, right? These are all the things exactly. that we can model for our kids. You know, you talk about, okay, expectations. This is a, this is an interesting one, managing expectations and, um, and, and praising, success, right? Like really Mm -hmm. like trying to encourage success, reinforce success. These are tricky concepts these days with what we know about the growth mindset, the fixed oriented mindset and how often gifted kids really come to be, can come to be achievers um, that feels very hollow and they feel their worth Mm -hmm. is based on Mm -hmm. their smarts and their grades. How do you recommend walking the balance of being that parent with expectations, but really checking ourselves about how we're going about it?
0: Yeah, that's, real, that's really a tough one uh, for so many parents. So I, I think we first need to look at what are our expectations for our child? What are our wishes, our hopes, our dreams, and how much of that fits with what our child needs? So that, that's the, the first, first point uh, to think about. Secondly, I, I think we need to look at where our child is in terms of their age, their development, their intellectual abilities, their potential, their emotional uh competence, their ability to handle stress, and also their skills. I mean, we need we, we can't expect a lot of these kids to excel if they don't have the skills. We don't we don't have them jump in the deep end before we teach them to swim. So a lot of children, especially gifted children, coast along and they don't always have the skills to study, to plan, to to use time management. So there are lots of things that can get in the way. Uh, but children feel good when they're acknowledged for their strengths and what they're capable of. The thing is to not praise them for being smart intrinsically because that's not they didn't do anything for that. Right. You know, it's like saying, no. Oh, you're so tall, you know, like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of my kids, uh, I asked, what do you want for your 16th birthday? He's like, I'd like to be six too. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, whatever, you know, that you, there are things we can't control and you can't control right. their aptitude, but you, you can praise them for how hard they work for their mm-hmm. effort, for mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. stick to itiveness, for, um, getting past roadblocks, for taking on something that's difficult, you know, for mm-hmm. some kids, math is a breeze, but writing an essay is impossible. So they take lower level um, English language uh, arts courses because they don't want to write an essay. Well, sometimes learning to do things that are hard is is the best kind of. Yeah. So, again, yeah. not praising them for who they are, but for what they do. And the other thing is to praise things that are truly praiseworthy. You know, I think back to when my kids played soccer and every team got a trophy at the end of the
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: They knew it was ridiculous. You know, even at seven, eight years old, they knew this. is What what am I getting a trophy for just for showing up? And so you don't want to praise them for things that are easy for them or or routine. Like every day, oh, thank you for brushing your teeth. Like, no, you you know, I'm glad you learned how to do it. Now this is something you have to do. So they know when it's false. They Mm -hmm. know when it's not deserved. Mm
1: -hmm. They know
0: when they're winning awards at school that they didn't work hard to get.
1: And they
0: do. puts across a terrible message.
1: They do not suffer fools, right? These kids do not suffer fools. And you also made me think of an early uh, memory when I was becoming educated in giftedness. And this is a long time ago at a SANG conference. You write about SANG in your book and Mm -hmm. everyone, an amazing organization supporting the emotional needs of the Mm -hmm. gifted. Um, I was at a pre-conference training, I believe, with uh, Dr. Jerry Grobman, a colleague of ours, who's a psychiatrist in New York and has really done amazing work and writing with um, gifted adults and and young adults. And his practice at the time. Back then, he was really focused on he was seeing a lot of gifted young professionals and performers. And he told the story of his clinical mistake, which has stuck with me. And I so appreciated this. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks about what they do right. I love it when people talk about like, here's where I blew right. it. And what he said to your point about just showing up and having these talents, he was sitting across from with a world class ballerina. And she was uh, had existential depression and she was anxious. And he said, you must be so impressed with the way you can dance. And she said to him, are you impressed that you can breathe?
0: yeah. Yeah. Good comeback.
1: Right. And to your point about when we reinforce, oh my God, you're so smart. You're so good at math. You know, how many mathematicians have we worked with over the years who hate math? They just happen to be really good at it. So everyone thinks they should do that. And mm-hmm. and you also talked about, you know, as parents, we really need to think about um, what, we, what we want for our kids and does it align with what they want because we really can't force them. And what we do know is actually... For a little while, you can force them, and if they drink the Kool-Aid, it still doesn't have a good ending. Like, let's say they go into the profession that you want them to go to and the college that you want them to go to and study what you want them to study. Usually, if it's not theirs, at some point, they experience the emptiness and, the, at times, the, the depression or anxiety with their body telling them, this is not right for you. So they still have to work it out anyways. It's just a matter of when.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Thinking about a, a client I just saw yesterday who was a gifted child. He's, he's an adult now. And uh, the only thing he loved in school were like engineering and architectural and tech classes, everything else he barely got through. But he loved loved that stuff and won awards for it because he was so good. So he thought, well, I'm going to be an engineer went to college to be an engineer, hated it hated engineering classes, barely got through them. They just seemed pointless to him. Uh, wasn't what he thought it would be. And so he switched, switched fields. But I think there's that you know, tendency to pigeonhole these kids. And, and as we know, a lot of gifted folks are, have multi-potentials. They're multi-potential. Mm-hmm. So they have multiple abilities, multiple paths they can go in. And uh, it's, it's a challenge to kind of narrow that down to, okay, well, how am I going to earn a living as an adult? What, what path am I going to take? But I think a lot of times people get on the bandwagon, like with this ballerina that you described, uh, to say, oh, you have so much talent in this area, you have to go in that direction. And that may not be what they're passionate about.
1: Hmm. I just, uh, a colleague forwarded me a piece yesterday that I read about prodigies. And it um, it was related to Malcolm Gladwell. He had given some talk, mm-hmm. I think, at a college commencement, mm-hmm. and he was Malcolm Gladwell was a gifted runner. He was actually um advanced like mm-hmm. at ten and twelve, and he talked about how he went from being you know a prodigy to just being average mm-hmm. and Once you get to the next stage and you're competing with everyone else who is like you it's this cult mm-hmm. it's this culture shock and he also talked about the idea of gifted children doesn't equal gifted adult guarantees and how we set these Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. as gifted thinkers. And when you look at a gifted adult, he calls them gifted doers. And not everyone who is a great Mm -hmm. thinker later in life wants to do all the doing for the achievement. And he, you know, he really just sort of like opened it up to like, let's Mm -hmm. look at how we think about these precocious young children and the messages mm-hmm. we give them. Um, mm-hmm. And we really need to look at the, at the long haul of just development
0: and identity. Right. right, and I think getting back to your question about expectations, that's one of the dilemmas that parents often feel is, well, do I, I let them sort of coast now? Will that result in them not achieving what they want as an adult? Or do I push, push, push? create a lot of structure and demands, but then will they rebel and resent it? So it's, it's, it's quite a, a, you know, a a tightrope walk to, to balance.
1: Mm -hmm. You wrote about comparing and the Mm -hmm. precariousness of comparing our kids Mm -hmm. to others, to gifted kids, to others. Mm -hmm. How, How do you recommend parents go about, I mean, comparison is part of our, it's part of our makeup, right? How do you recommend parents navigate the comparisons of their kids to others, which their kids are going to be in the minority in most Mm -hmm. situations?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. That was an interesting uh, chapter for me to write about and reading some of the research that um, when we have envy, it's um it's a complicated emotion and there can be some positives to it and one of the researchers i wrote about talked about how uh, marathon runners were able to improve their skills because they looked at some of the people who were much faster more capable and they actually modeled what they did in terms of their training schedule so they could achieve so sometimes if if somebody is better than us or if a child your, your child is playing with, it seems like they're more capable, you can sort of look at it as like, OK, what are they doing differently? How did how did they achieve that? So I think envy becomes a problem if we feel like something is unjust or undeserved. And uh, as parents, we can feel envy about a lot of things. We can be envious about someone's financial wealth. Mm-hmm. Gee, you know, they could afford to send their kid to private school, or they have this great house, or they have a beach house that they travel to. And we can be envious about their child. Oh, their child has such good manners, or their child is always invited to all the birthday parties and is so popular, or their child is so kind, or their child doesn't argue with their parents that much, seemingly. So there, there are lots of things. But I, I think it comes to play, particularly for parents of gifted children, because they're their children are outliers. So they're out of sync in a lot of ways. So they're, unless their child has tremendous social skills and some do, or leadership qualities or great athletes there, they may be more on the outlier socially. Mm-hmm. And it's really heartbreaking when your child is not invited over to a friend's house or that is not invited to parties or doesn't go to the dance at school. Uh, and we'll compare, well, you know, why can't they just be a little more socially attuned like so-and-so's kid? Uh, if we see our child struggling academically because they're bored or they're not putting in the effort and other kids surpass them, if they don't get into the college, we, we think would be ideal for them. Um, there, there's so many ways that these disappointments come up. And I think it's about acknowledging, okay, I'm a little bit disappointed. I don't begrudge this other child being successful. That's where they're at. And I have to just take a step back, take a breath, take a step back and look at where my child is right now in their development. And what they need to move forward rather than basing it on external standards like awards at school or, or science fair awards or trophies. Just to really mm-hmm. look at, okay, maybe, maybe their needs are more about time management or uh, being patient with other children who don't quite get it. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't get the rules of the game they're playing with. So our expectations may be different than what other parents
1: have. And this goes right back again to self awareness is not a luxury or an indulgence because to ask those questions that you just mm-hmm. pointed out, one must look at oneself to say what is my stuff, and what's my mm-hmm. child's stuff. What mm-hmm. what what is what do I wanting for them, or I think they're wanting, but I'm putting this on them. And these are really tough questions to ask because a lot of times we're on autopilot and especially in our busy mm-hmm. world and our stressful world and our emerging out of covid world i mean we've gone through a lot of stuff and parenting as you point out in your book is not easy parenting a gifted child or a twice exceptional child mm-hmm. is definitely not easy a lot of the time there are highs there are lows there's intense highs and intense lows
0: mm-hmm. and
1: We have to stop to ask ourselves these questions because we can't always get the answers from the pediatrician, from even our parents, um, our Mm -hmm. family members, because, you know, everyone is telling you what to do in a way that's more usually mainstream neurotypical, and it Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. doesn't work for these kids.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't work. And also, you know, there's, there's another piece here which is that most parents of gifted kids are, are gifted themselves, even if they were never labeled or identified and don't, and don't really realize it. So what we might expect from our child might be different uh, because of our own history. So, you know, if everyone said, oh yeah, you and your siblings all talked before you were a year old, well, we might think, well, that's normal. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's not normal, right? It's not the Mm -hmm. norm. So we kind of see our kids developing and don't think any big deal about it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we're different and they're different. And as I was doing this book, I had, I put together a a survey uh, that I posted online and got over 400 responses. And, you know, one interesting piece of that was that 25% of folks who responded didn't realize they were gifted until they had a gifted child and Mm -hmm. saw different Mm -hmm. developments. So we have to take into account also that we might be intense or emotional or sensitive or overthinkers doing the same things our kids are doing and how that can create a really um, pretty wild household. In in the survey that I put out there, a lot of parents very generously responded some anecdotes about their lives. And some of them talked about the way their household was, that it was just filled with intensity and um,
1: it creates
0: a complicating situation.
1: Yes. Complicated and complex um, for parents Mm -hmm. listening. If you're one of these parents and you weren't identified, you might've heard things like you are, why are you so sensitive? Why are you so emotional? Right. Mm -hmm. Why, why are you so intense? And these are these, um, non-cognitive characteristics we often see with giftedness Mm -hmm. is the, um, sensitivity and the intensity that comes in many shapes and forms and, um, and how we can accept, right? How we can Mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. And you talk about acceptance is a really big part of this as a parent accepting Mm -hmm. themselves and accepting the child that Mm -hmm. came through them.
0: Right. And to have that self-compassion to Mm -hmm. not be so hard on yourself as a parent, uh, and to learn the tools for managing your own emotions and your emotional reaction as well.
1: What are you hoping your readers get from your book?
0: That that's a great question. I mean, part of my motivation for writing it was to uh, create a sense of support because it's hard for parents of the gifted or twice exceptional to find places. Where they feel supported so I'm, I'm trying to convey that you know these are realistic uh, normal problems that your parents face and they're ways of navigating it and you're doing okay you know and you'll you'll find your your own path because what works like you said for one gift to child works for one gift to child they have to figure it out so to create a sense of support and uh, an encouragement to self-reflect to look at what they're thinking and feeling, what their motivations are, and to enjoy their life with their child because, you know, all children are special and wonderful in the sense all children are gifts, right? You know, even if they're not gifted. So uh, to really enjoy your child and and, um, appreciate the fun times as well.
1: Mission accomplished. Um, As a reader, I will say uh, really well done.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: All right dr. Gale, it's time for the parent footprint moment All question right. here we go okay. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent or even an awareness of your own parents and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love
0: well it's always such a great a great question uh, you know what what comes to mind for me I could come up with many things but what comes to mind for me actually ironically is kind of related to what I've done with the book, which is to try to focus on values and needs. So when I was in college, when I started out in college, I, um, I actually started as a creative writing major and then, but realized "Mm, that, that isn't where I want to go, even though ironically I'm writing now, but, uh, I had a bunch of different paths I could have taken and, uh, none of them really spoke to me in terms of, okay, how do I want to spend 40 hours a week in terms of a career? And what I did was I really looked at, well, what what would be really meaningful for me? And for me, it was about helping people, but there's lots of ways people can help others. Um, but I was always interested in the human psyche, how people thought, how why people behave the way they did. And so I, I thought, okay, what would combine this? And okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to be a clinical psychologist and do what I have to do to get through school to do that. But uh, it, it's interesting because my first year at college, I took an intro to psych course and I hated it. <laughs> I dropped it during the drop ed period because this is so boring. It's all about all this, you know, the brain functioning and sensory perception. This isn't about, you know, relating to people. And so I, I dropped that real fast. And then when I kind of figured out on my own, well, what would be a meaningful way of moving forward? I, I did some things to try to cement that. I volunteered at a crisis hotline, got trained in doing that. I, you know, I did more reading and then finally I was like, yeah, this is the path I want to take. So I went back and took that intro course mm-hmm. and got through it and, and many other courses after that. So I, I think that also cemented my sense that you have to be aware of what you need and that can drive you. To overcome hurdles and and things you don't like doing, because mm-hmm. as you know, it's a long road through graduate school and beyond, mm-hmm. and uh, that really motivated me. So uh, I think that stuck with me that you have to be really attuned to what's what's most meaningful.
1: And did your did your parents have a role in what you initially chose, or you know, like <laughs> did they did they contribute in any way to that path?
0: Not directly, you know, they kind of let me choose what I wanted. I I grew up in a family of musicians and Mm -hmm. I was trained as a musician as well, but my heart wasn't in it, but they actually never pushed me to go in that Mm -hmm. direction. They Mm -hmm. knew what a hard life musicians have uh, Mm -hmm. financially and and, and all. So they kind of left me to my own resources, but I, you know, frankly, I don't think I would have listened to them anyway at the time when I was a strong, you know, strong-willed teenager. So, uh, you know, I, I figured it out, so
1: thank you for sharing your moment, um, your, your many moments and, um, and your work. Uh, I, uh, you know, there's, there's not that many of us in, in this field and, um, it's always wonderful to have a conversation with a like-minded kindred spirit. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been great. You've been a pleasure to talk with and I so appreciate your, um, passing this message along once again, which I know you always do about self-awareness, but uh, that there's a lot for us to be aware of as parents of gifted kids.
1: So let everyone know where they can get this book that I'm holding here, The Gifted Parenting Journey, as well as all of your decades of blogs and writings.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, the, the book is, uh, you can get it through the publisher, Gifted Unlimited, or at all the different Bookseller sources online, or in, in some bookstores as well. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that. Um, my my blog is Gifted Challenges, uh, and I usually put out uh, a different article each month. I have a newsletter also where I send out uh, information about other people's work as well. I have uh, a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram account. My Facebook account is not my personal account, but the a Gifted Challenges account, and. On Twitter, you can find me there as well. And I've recently started the Instagram account, so there's not as much there. But uh, I do post lots of other information, not just stuff I write, but really interesting articles I stumble across related to psychology and education and gifted ed and and all that stuff. So, And then my website is just my name, gailpost.com.
1: And I just have to acknowledge for everyone listening to Definitely check this out because Gail is unique in really combining a accessible voice with scholarly research, right? So it's an an integration of work that is being done to understand these people that many of you are raising while at the same time is said and explained in a way that we all can digest it and actually put it to practice, which of course is the cornerstone of her book. So go get it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Please share this recording with anyone who you know will benefit. Thank you for being a part of our community. We so appreciate your five-star reviews. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummer Man, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.